We're going to continue in our study of the book of Acts, and we find ourselves in chapter 20. This is Paul's final journey, his third journey, as he's traveling around the uh, countries uh, preaching the gospel. And uh, I'll read it, and we're going to see what everybody has to say about it as we gather our thoughts together. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell, and he departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, uh, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia and uh, to Berea, uh, uh, Sopater of Berea, the son of Prius uh, from Berea, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, and Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. He says, us, so Luke is involved in this travel. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them in Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So again, Paul's making the circuit. He's going to the churches. He's encouraging them. He's telling them to keep the faith and to stay strong. Many times it's necessary to hear someone come and someone to encourage you and to strengthen your faith. How many of you know sometimes you just need someone to validate your faith? You, you need some confirmation. And uh, it's very powerful. Many of you that don't think you have a lot to say, but if you would encourage a brother or sister, uh, you might be saying a word in due season that is just enough for them to stand and to keep standing. You all have that power of encouragement. The word of encouragement is extremely powerful. You may not have the answer, but you can encourage. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit uses a word of encouragement through His people. Please continue to encourage one another in the faith. Well, Paul went on, and on the, day when, uh, uh, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. And uh, what is the first day of the week? Does anybody know? Oh, it is Sunday, yes. On the first day of the week, the Lord's Day or the Resurrection Day, they were breaking bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. But he prolonged his speech until midnight. Well, that's long-winded preaching. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Now we're going past midnight. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed. For his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. All right, so I don't care who it is preaching, <laughs> it can still go long, <laughs> right? This poor kid 
sitting in the window. How many of you know that they didn't have screens on those porches? On those? And he fell asleep and fell out of a third-story window. Now, I don't know anything that will bring life back into a prayer meeting or a, a teaching, but raise someone from the dead and, and you, got it, you got it going again. Now, someone once said, the way to remember this kid's name is if you fell out of a third-story window, you'd accust too. All right, you won't forget his name, will you? All right. Now, going on ahead, but I, what, what can we gather from this? What, what can we gather from just that story? Tell me some things you see in that story. There was a hunger. I mean, they broke bread and then they went till midnight, and then they went till the morning, the dawn. Okay, so a hunger from the people to hear and learn. Paul, he's got so much to share, so much to impart, that he could talk 8, 10, 12, 14 hours straight preaching the gospel. The question is, could you listen for that long? It's got to be interesting. It's got to be good. Yeah, what Theo said is it shows that Paul is so giving of himself that, you know, he could have cut out. I got an early ship to, to get. I got a cruise I'm going on in the morning, so I got to get there. But he needed, he had this passion to impart to this church everything that he should and could to keep them in the faith because once he leaves... Uh, typically the Judaizers, people were coming in and trying to rip, steal away what he had implanted to them. So he's really teaching them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but a guy like Paul, I want to listen to him. He's not that eloquent in his speech, it says. Paul says, I didn't come with eloquence of speech. And sometimes he's, he's, he's just kind of like puts it out there. Um, Apollos was the polished speaker. But he had so much to share and so much to give. He also brought the power of God. And so in the middle, I would imagine the middle of speaking, he's speaking words of knowledge, speaks out a word of wisdom, a prophetic word, a revelation. You know, this is a guy that sat at the feet of Jesus after Jesus was resurrected. And he understood the fullness of the gospel. If we had Paul here tonight, I'd just like to know, what would you like to ask him? How do we walk in the power and authority that you walk in, Paul? How, how do we do that? I mean, how do we... We read, your, we read your book. We read Romans. We've read Galatians. We've read Corinthians. Really love it. But how do you do it? Right? I mean, how many of you... It's like, I, I lay hands on the sick. I want to see the same response that you got. So how did you do it? Do we need a thorn in the flesh? Do we have to go through that? What? So he stayed humble. This, uh, this is all directly related to the next portion of Scripture. Let's take a look at this as we're looking at Paul, because we're going to see his last preaching. So he went ahead to the ship, verse 13, we set sail from Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, uh, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came following the next day to another place, to another place, and Paul decided to stay, sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. 
All right, Paul is desiring to get to Jerusalem. So one of the cities he does skip is Ephesus. He spent three years at Ephesus. So I don't need to go back there. i got to get to Jerusalem. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, All right, so he's not going to take the time to go into Ephesus. He spent three years. He's got friends there. He's got family. They're going to want to hang out. They're going to want to. Now I got to get to Jerusalem by this time. I'm on a timetable. I feel the Lord telling me I've got to get to Jerusalem in this season. So, leaders of the Ephesus church, the Ephesian church, you come meet me. We're going to have a pastor's retreat. Come on, meet me down in Miletus. And so they meet him. And now here's Paul's speech. Let's listen to Paul. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all what? Humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. But what's Paul saying about himself? I was serving the Lord with all humility with tears and with trials of what happened to me. Are you telling me that with the Ephesian believers as he's teaching them, he's crying about what he's been through, what he, what's happened to him and what he's suffering? And So serving, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. So he's passionate. He's weeping in front of the people. He's, he's crying out. You've got to understand this. You've got to know Jesus. You've got to surrender to Christ. Stop the sin. Stop idolatry. I'm begging you. That's a common phrase for Paul. <laughs> I beg of you. Okay. With trials that happened to him with plots. So he's a wanted man. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Synagogues in public and on the street corners and in door to door. He went to people's homes and met with small Bible studies and had some coffee cake and ice cream and, and ministered to them. And so he wasn't aloof. He wasn't, you know, pay me 50 bucks and I'll come speak for an hour at your church. I'll sign a contract. I'll meet you in the green room after I'm done. Get me a limo out of here. I mean, this guy, credibility of his ministry to them. I taught you in public. I taught you in private. I wept over you. I was beaten up teaching you. I've done everything I could, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Why? Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. You need to remember this, because the next time we study in the next chapter, uh, it's going to be important to remember this. So what's the Holy Spirit telling him in every city? He just said, in every city I've been going to, what's the Holy Spirit telling him? Yeah, you're, it, something's coming, buddy. There's a storm cloud coming. Imprisonment and afflictions await for me. 
And what did he tell his uh, fellow travelers when he got into Miletus? I have got to get to Jerusalem before Passover. I know. It's like, are you sure, Paul? Maybe another couple years in Ephesus. Maybe Jesus got it wrong. You're too important to be in prison. What did Paul do in prison? He wrote, he wrote most of the New Testament. We needed Paul in prison. He wrote his pastoral epistles in prison. Why would you write the pastors in prison? Keep them encouraged, and they're the ones who are going to run the church because you're not going to be there anymore. So the Spirit's telling them, this is coming. 24, but I, don't, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Somebody, do me a favor, look up in Scripture where Paul uh, was baptized and the Lord told the prophet what his ministry was going to be. I believe it's Acts chapter 9. Check. Somebody, we need to read that. Because he said... I need to finish my course. So what was his course? He would suffer much, right? He hasn't preached yet before kings. He's got a course to finish. So his calling was to suffer for his name, preach to the Gentiles, and before their kings. So he was heading to Jerusalem. There was more suffering, which was the road to finish his calling to preach before kings. All right, let's keep going. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So what's he doing? Saying goodbye. Saying goodbye. He spent three years with these people. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Does anybody understand what he means by that? I'm not guilty of your blood. Right, yeah, out of the book of Ezekiel, when God is talking to the watchman, okay, and Paul is going to explain to them what a watchman should do. Uh, a watchman is responsible for the lives of those that they shepherd. And he tells Ezekiel that if you don't tell them the full counsel of my word, their blood is on your hands. Their lives. You're responsible for them. But if you do tell them the full counsel and they don't listen, their, their blood is not on your hands. How can we apply that today? If the Holy Spirit tells us to tell someone about Christ and we don't, that's on us. Tell them everything. So he did qualify, right? Tell them the whole counsel. I didn't hold anything back. Therefore, your blood is not on my hand. Our church is telling the full counsel of the Word of God. So that's a dangerous position to be in. So... Could we say that there are churches and pastors that are not telling the full counsel of God? And there are messages that are out there 
And, and so that's a dangerous thing. But what do you think that means? Does that mean that they're going to go to hell because of that? No, because, I mean, their faith is in Jesus. They failed in their ministry. But, is, but you're responsible for preaching. That's a tough one, isn't it? But let me ask you this real quick. Why is it just preachers? What about you? What about you? Do you know the Word of God? Are you sharing the full counsel with everybody you know? So we do have a responsibility, don't we? Okay, so Paul's saying, I'm innocent. I, I, how many of you want to be able to say, I'm innocent of the blood on me? I, I want to be that. I, I want to be faithful as a watchman. I need to tell people about Jesus. Right? All right. Now, you know, Paul taught, does this mean I'm responsible for every human being? I mean, Paul, there were times when they didn't want to hear it, so Paul didn't tell them. Right? They rejected him. He kicked the dust off his, off the, his feet and he moved on. And in fact, he told them, your blood is on you, not on me. Jesus said the same thing, so they rejected. So it, it, it's, a, it's a matter of being responsible for what you have been given. And you've been given much. All right, let's go on. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. What's going on here? I didn't know God had blood. God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. How'd God get blood? A virgin birth. What is so important about a virgin birth? Let's get into this. I'm drilling this into you every year. What's the importance about a virgin birth? Okay, so the virgin birth is very important. It's not some kind of mythology. It's not some kind of figurative story. It is absolutely essential to the deity of Jesus Christ because God put His seed within Mary and that seed gave birth to Jesus Christ and, and so that bypassed the curse of sin upon the human race, which is, which is uh, continued by man impregnating women. The seed, the blood is sinful, and the DNA is sinful. But in Jesus, the seed was placed in Mary by God. His blood never mingled with Mary's blood, his mother. And so when he was born, he was born outside of the curse of Adam. And he could therefore have pure blood given as the sacrifice to cleanse us from our sin. Amen. And so God bought the church with His own blood. God acquired blood by becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Powerful. That's a proof text for you to use about the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, 
remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish you, to admonish everyone with tears. What is Paul giving here as far as a spiritual gift? What's, what's he saying? He's giving a word of what? It's a warning. He knows. He says, There's, there are men among you, the leadership of Ephesus, that are going to be ravenous wolves. You're going to turn against the teaching that I have spent three years, day and night, weeping and praying for you and teaching you. And there's going to be wolves among you that are going to shred and tear apart these disciples. It happens today, doesn't it? So what does he tell them they need to do? Be alert. Be on your guard. Be alert. And again, here he goes, admonishing you with tears. Again, you don't seem to think of Paul this way, do you? I was talking with someone earlier today, and, and you know, the, 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 the idea of Paul is he's this stern, harsh guy, you know. I think we got it wrong. This guy's weeping over his people. He's crying. He's admonishing them. He's, come on. He's passionate. He's not cold. And he's saying, he, he, he's admonishing them with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those that are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Amen. You know, I read a statistic that uh, pastors quitting the ministry has gone up 30% since COVID. The, how, how many of you, what do you think is the, right now, pastors are quitting like crazy, uh, just normally from churches, but since COVID, a 30% increase of the number of pastors quitting. Why? What do you think is the number one reason pastors are quitting? Church going bankrupt? not actually it's pretty amazing churches have been surviving financially it's the flock it's the criticism they don't have the answers you can't get it right you whatever you do you can't get it right you're constantly being under critique and accusation if i stand over here on this this group is coming against you and they leave if i stand over here this group comes against you if you leave. If I try to walk down the middle to get everybody on board, somebody's going to come against you. It's true. The goal would be to realize the pastor can't do all that, but who can? The body. The body. Not one person can do it. We need everybody. So if you know someone's sick or if you know someone's in need, um, you can call the pastor or you could do something about it. You know, if we all work together on this, for you know, Christmas is coming up. There's going to be people who have nobody and nowhere to go. And wouldn't it be awesome if you invited someone over that you know is going to be alone? And so I would encourage you to reach out to each other and among each other and find out, you know, how, how can I minister to you? How can I help you? That's, that's huge. And that's the effectiveness of the body of Christ. Um, I, I praise God because what happens in this church is we care for each other. People care about each other. And that's why we're still together. 
He says, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. All right? And so what Paul was doing was modeling for them a healthy lifestyle. I'm not going to preach and uh, gain your money. I'm going to teach you. He was so emphatic on how to teach, how to be good in life. I'm going to make my own wage, and I'm going to give my money where I need to. That's what you need to do. And it's more blessed to give than receive. And so we've got to be a generous people. That is so beautiful and so right on. Jesus said this, those who seek to save their lives will lose it. Those who lose their lives or give it away will find life, will find it. Now that's a principle in salvation, obviously, but it's also a principle of life. That if you will give your life away, whether it's financially giving, helping, doing something for somebody... You're finding life because it's coming out of you. What happened to you is love started coming out of you in giving to others. If you're always waiting to get, you're you're wanting that love to come to you. It's not being generated in you, and it only lasts till that gift loses its luster. But propagating love is giving, and now you're feeling that love coming out of you. Now, let's finish. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Do you think there were some tears there? And there was much weeping on the part of all of them. They embraced Paul. Actually, some of the better translations say they fell on his neck. They literally piled on Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship and said goodbye. So they just crowded around him and wept over him. What was the whole point of Paul meeting with these elders? Encouragement? Fight the good fight of faith? Taking his place? He taught them leadership. The wolves are coming. It's a warning. They're going to come. Now it's up to you to take over. You've got to watch the flock. God bought this flock with his own blood. And I'm innocent of the blood. I gave you everything I had. Now it's your turn. Amen? All right, well, let's, let's close I hope that you're gaining insight through this study in the book of Acts that these are real life people, that these are real passion and and real pain and a real move of God, the same moves that can happen in our lives, the same ministries, and, and they do. So let's believe for the book of Acts in our church, amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we have come together to worship you, to celebrate 
that Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. We celebrate the birth of Christ. We rejoice with the angels at this amazing, amazing work of God that He became flesh and dwelt among us to rescue and save us and to buy and purchase His bride in such a love story through Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone tonight that they'll be encouraged and strengthened and that together we will care for each other, we will serve each other, and we will love each other as Christ loves us. I pray for Christmas time that each person, Lord God, will feel your presence, hear your presence, and know you in their lives. Lord, the greatest gift's already been given, and we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen.